You are listening to the protagonist of the erotic. Produced by Extra Extra. Each episode is dedicated as an act of love to the libidinal ouvreur of a living person. Desired object or location that can be visited in the present day. We discover what it means to define and shape sensuality, framed within the dynamic context of modern urban life. smartphone. Are you in a serious relationship with your smartphone? The question, headlines, long-form news articles, warning of the dour effects of incessant usage and screen addiction. Yet, for Nadine Botha, the intimacy we share with our handheld devices may be far more peculiar than we think. After all, it serves us both the overstimulation of the 24-7 office and the delicious jolts of adrenaline from text messages sent by lovers. In such exchanges, the vibrancy of electric connection transcends planetary locations and time zones. Scrolling, searching and seducing one another Constant connectivity permeates every aspect of our daily existence, from the way we find love to navigating unfamiliar city streets. Evoking philosophers, artists and designers, Nadine delivers an intoxicating account of the smartphone as a fetish object, a techno-sexual prosthetic, extending our bodies and selves in unfathomable ways. Mm. It was a Friday night. Small bar in Amsterdam. Three women just having a drink. The phone pings. A message. Hey, beautiful. What's up? I didn't recognize the number, but... I didn't think too much about it. I'd been dallying with online dating apps like a kid in a candy store, dishing out my number like a pouty smile. Another message. This time, a picture. A beautiful torso, defined muscles, not overworked or greased, tasteful crop. Whew, I exclaimed. My companions ask, What? 
I show them the picture. Oh, they exclaim. Who is it? I type. A face pick. A playful grin and turquoise eyes pierce through the season's washed-out snapseed filter. Oh my goodness. We're all three drooling on the phone now. What do I reply? Yeah, give it to me, says one companion. She grabs the phone, pouts, clicks, and sends. No, 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 exclaims the other. Grabs the phone, pouts, clicks, and sends. Phone gets handed to me, and what was I to do but pout, click, send. Gorgeous. Send more, reads the message. No, no, we text back. You send more. An image of neck and collarbone. And the three of us respond with like, initiating a slow digital striptease by images that, once it reached the limits of public decorum, also started going into the bathroom to take even more revealing images. We were enthralled with the hotness of the mysterious stranger and how adoringly encouraging his messages were. What I remember is that we were in this bar but entirely sucked into this game, presented by this interaction with this object, the smartphone encasing the mysterious stranger, which was freely being passed around between us. And then, at some point, another woman leaned over and asked what we were doing. We showed her the picture. And, oh, she exclaimed, grab the phone and pout, click, send. Her companion came back from the bar and leaning over the gallery of images we were poring over and in a blink she too grabbed the phone pout click send and so more and more women started joining in with my phone being passed around to women I had not even spoken to the bar heaved with a collective buzz and ooh as the mysterious stranger's new image was announced shared and mirrored. Perhaps this incident might raise obvious protestations of objectification and gendered gazes, but nonetheless it remains fascinatingly anachronistic to me for completely different reasons. Of course, many erotic encounters emerge from skirting safety and decorum, exposing oneself, dallying with strangers, exhibitionism and public exposure, elements of risk and deviance. However, considering it from today's vantage point, I'm mostly struck by how unfathomably unrepeatable this incident that took place about eight years ago seems. Of course, to share this protracted digital physical striptease and intimacy with both digital strangers as well as 
a horde of physical strangers in a public venue not designated for sex seemed an unrepeatable orgy already back then. However, the sharing of numbers with strangers, the willingness of taking and sharing risque images, the handing around the phone among multiple people as if it were a public object, and the simple, jubilant, innocent pleasure of exploring the phone as a toy whose potential could only be gauged by being played with was kind of out there eight years ago, but seems inconceivable today. Of course, I have changed, but so have our attitudes towards smartphones. Eight or so years ago was a time, as I recall, when the smartphone and its possibilities seemed fascinating and people were not yet obsessed or dependent. It was just starting to cut both ways. Scathing remarks about sharing photos of food were starting to outweigh pictures of food and the charm of waking up with one's entire office in bed with you through WhatsApp and email was wearing off. The art of fubbing, that is snubbing by picking up your phone mid-conversation with friends, dates or lovers, started taking off but it was still not entirely common to go out alone with just one's phone for company and take up a four-seat table. The weight was still in the favour of how websites had given way to Grindr, Tinder and Field. Snapchat and disappearing images baffled heteronormative adults and slogans like send nudes, Netflix and chill, ghosting were not quite as basic as Cosmo's cover lines just yet. The celebrity naked selfies had not yet been hacked. In fact, I recall when Emma Watson got hacked realising that actually everyone has nudes. From porn in the office toilets to sending pocket voice notes to your mum while making out and casting your steamy convo to the shared Bluetooth speaker. These were just harmless, funny anecdotes. Like emoji cushions that were at the height of irony. And the irony trend was just post-peak, as per the Nokia ringtone being remixed into a techno track. It was just like, like, like. The smartphone is today's positive society made flesh, according to Korean-German philosopher Byung-Chul Han, who famously likened the slick smoothness of smartphones to Brazilian waxes and Jeff Koons sculptures. He is not only talking of the non-scratch screen or streamlined shell that is invulnerable and avoids all injury, but the very user interface and on a deeper level, our very self-image, in which communication is optimized through likes and positivity. The beautiful is exhausted in likes, he writes, that when all negativity is stripped away, perception is sedated, and aestheticization becomes anesthetization, as in Jeff Koons's work, Wow!, it becomes a hygiene standard too and a smooth, slick Brazilian waxed bodies and clean pornography displaces dirty eroticism. Without negativity, without dirt to slow us down, our bodies start moving at the pace of machines and we become data sexuals hooked to a steady stream of affirming information. This information does not tell us what to do but provides us with infinite possibilities that, according to Han, result in us internalizing an even higher standard that we should live up to. 
With all this infinite freedom of every flavor under the sun, who but ourselves are to blame for a dreary, unfulfilling sex life? I remember I was at the airport, my one hand dragging a wheelie suitcase and the other clicking through my phone. I lurched into someone, looked up, and had that movie moment when the music swells and you stand blinking everyone as far as I could see was doing the same, walking forward, but looking down at the thing in their hands in a chaotic bumper car ballet. In one airport, I'm not sure if this is a false memory, but I believe there was even walking lanes for texters. Shortly after that, I burnt out. I switched off the smart on my phone for a few weeks, only taking calls and texts from friends and family. I lay on the couch, watched the sea, noticed the sunset. They did nothing for me. My nervous system was scrambled. It was right out of Byung Chul Han's playbook. Burnout is one of our age's signature afflictions. Although his playbook doesn't offer any practical advice, now reading it some years after the experience, I find comfort in understanding my personal hell as something that is not a personal flaw, but a broader societal symptom. It allows me to observe this version of myself as a product of circumstance and begin to recognize my smartphone as a mirror of that. Oscar Wilde's portrait of Dorian Gray comes to mind, in which the protagonist revels in endless hedonistic pleasure and, like our feckless smartphones and filtered selfies, never ages, injures or dirties. But hidden in its attic is a portrait that shows the full decaying affect of a lifestyle in which ultimately, because he had every pleasure available to him, nothing was ever enough. In the end, spoiler alert, he is driven to destroy the portrait. But in the attempt, ends up killing himself, with his corpse instantly aged and atrophied, barely recognizable, and the portrait perfect again in perpetuity. I wonder if in history there is another object, another erotic protagonist even, that so many people have that provide such an individual mirror to each of us as the smartphone. Perhaps then it is no accident that we are witnessing such a huge upsurge in two of the world's most ancient psychological systems, tarot reading and astrology. And perhaps there is something to be learned from them, not necessarily about what lies in the future or between our sheets, but as in a different disposition that can be learned from them when treating them less as predictive technologies and more as suggestive and interpretive mirrors. This is what designer Ginevra Petrosi explores in her project, 
digital esotericism. The project is an invitation to claim our agency as diviners of technology rather than subjugated consumers by using tarot methodologies to interpret our smartphones' apps, suggestions and settings as mythopoetic symbolic signals. I asked her to explain what happens in one of her tarot readings of a smartphone. This was a reading I had with my mother in February 2021. It was beginning of my research, more or less, and was one of the few readings with the smartphone that I was doing in a complete way. And we speak about three positions, the past, present, and future position. So actually, when I read someone's phone, I ask them to choose the application or space within their phone that they think could represent better that specific position. So the past, the present, or the future. In this case, we're reading the future position, which, as I explained to her, will not tell you what the future actually is, but it's meant to become a method, a tool, for the person that is coming to be read, for the querent to actually imagine the future in a different way or construct it in a different way. Ginevra is one of many young designers whose work expands our imaginal range not of future technology, but of how we understand and relate to current technology. These designers recognize that smartphone and related technology have become so pervasive that the ability to imagine or create a different technology is determined and limited by the current logic. As well as recognizing that even if they can't figure out an alternative immediately, a pitchfork does not become a weapon overnight, but requires numerous intermediary reimaginings. In these reimaginings, they also acknowledge how intertwined our deeply personal relationship with the smartphone is with grander societal systems and geopolitics. As in the work of Chen Yu Wang, whose work is inspired by dreams she had about the mass suicides at the Foxconn iPhone factory. I feel so scared in my dream, really. In the position I remain so clear is I am watching all the foaming happening, but I feel that myself is not participate in one of the little units. So that is how I call it a nightmare, maybe, because I feel the contrast is so uncomfortable. And I'm when I was awake, I'm thinking like, how can I do with that dream? How can I reflect with that dream? Because really the dream is originate from my deeper research of this Foscon company. And I still am reflecting back and sometimes when this dream happens, it was a striking moment for, for, my, for my life. I feel that something is transitioning, a powerful transitioning that I was too afraid to encounter to that dream again. 
So the dream happens in December, and then I have a hard time actually to research more on what is happening in Foscon. I have fear to go back to sleep because I don't want to encounter the dream again. It was too too much for me to handle. Chen Yu is making a giant bedspread covered with intricately embroidered smartphone screens. I imagine this as a magical blankie that covers everyone across the globe, snuggled up together, dreaming up entirely new paradigms and uses of the smartphone. Paradigms and uses that are not about centering the machine and the economy, but about expanding our humaneness and treasuring the planet. One such dream that has expanded my imaginary of technology is that of designer Jan Schulz and his notion of the prosthetic sensorium, which recognizes all technology as prosthetics that enhance human bodies and realities. Like the web of the spider, technology expands our physical, cognitive and sensory capacities. In other words, take the smartphone that on average has about 20 sensors, the magnetometer that senses magnetic attraction, the gyroscope that senses orientation, the accelerometer or slow down, we're moving too fast, or maybe it's go, 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 the proximity sensor getting closer, setting the heart rate sensor racing, which makes it about time for the ambient light sensor. You get the picture. While our physical sensing of the smooth, featureless slab of the smartphone might be anesthetized, it is designed to be sensing us. That is, when we touch it, it is touching us back. And as a prosthetic, it is expanding our own senses and experience. The sensorium comes in through the smartphone, not only being an object in our hands, but also interconnected to an extended hyperplanetary scale body of data centers, satellites, and wires, all with their own sensors sending information back to the palms of our hands. Wait, let me, let me just get Jan in to explain quickly. The idea of the prosthetic sensorium or the technosensorium later is basically every object, everything that humans make are forms of externalizations of their body. So basically, as Marshall McLuhan said, the, the clothing is an extension of the skin, the wheel is an extension of the feet, And so are sensors extensions of the human body that allow us to perceive things that the pure organic human body can maybe not detect, be it slight temperature differences that might be unnoticeable for the human, but are pretty quantifiable for sensors, but also sensors that can detect gases, that can detect magnetic fields, that can detect uh, seismic activity, even on the deepest 
ground of the ocean where the human body cannot go, but the sensors can be there and can serve an extension of the human sense. So all these kind of sensors are often put together in monitoring stations, which are put all over the planet in different kinds of location, in forests, on mountains, even in the orbit with satellites. So all of them are continuously monitoring the planet and the environment, and all of them are connected to telecommunication network systems, for example, like the internet. And these infrastructures converge ever more tightly. They form connective tissues and circulatory systems of the human, human's externalized techno body. They are almost a form of neural networks, technological ones. And with this technological externalization of human senses into sensors and monitoring stations, the emergence of the technosensorium began. Linked to communication network systems, this technosensorium becomes a hyperconnected prosthesis that allows multisensorial experience almost on a planetary scale or even beyond. So what happens is that the human perception expands into a dimension that allows detecting environmental phenomena and changes that up to this point stayed basically unnoticed as they are too stretched out in time and space. In other words, what if not only are we touching the phone and being touched back by the phone, and the phone is there by extending the scope of our senses, but also through the techno-prosthetic sensorium, the scope of our senses are being extended to a global scale and we are touching the world and it is touching us back. Sure, we can take a late night bottle of wine and even another podcast dwelling on what that world is. Is it the planet or the human concept or something else entirely? But let's just dwell a little on this image of touching the world and it touching us back. Through the smooth, feckless little glass and metal slab that hugs our butts in jeans, kisses our cheek when we voice call, and feasts our eyes in the glorious scope of all the possibilities of this wondrous world. How would you treat a lover the size of the world? How might you treasure its proxy, the smartphone, both smother it with attention and adoration, and give it space, even switch it off? to build up that magnetic tension of eras. I might woo it with Pablo Neruda's 16th love sonnet. I love the handful of earth you are because of its meadows, vast as a planet, I have no other star. You are my replica of the multiplying universe. 
Your wide eyes are the only light I know. From extinguished constellations, your skin throbs like the streak of a meteor through rain. Your hips were that much of the moon for me, your deep mouth and its delights that much sun. Your heart, fiery with its long red rays, was that much ardent light, like honey in the shade. So I pass across your burning form, kissing you, compact and planetary, my dove, my globe, or is it my smartphone? Now who is that? Thank you for joining Extra Extra on this listening experience. It's been a pleasure to have welcomed you on a journey through this episode of The Protagonist of the Erotic. 